Welcome to the CPR for Life podcast. I'm Sagar Doshi, and this is Zachar Moses. So today, we want to continue our conversation on sleep. Hopefully last time we did a halfway decent job convincing you that sleep is actually necessary for life to continue. And it has incredibly uh, strong roles, crucial, critical roles in every system of our body. Not just in the brain, in the heart, everything. And so it also is readily apparent that lots of people have trouble sleeping. I mean, most people don't get seven to eight hours of sleep. Zach, do you get seven to eight hours of sleep every single night? Uh, When I'm not working, I think I do a decent job of doing that. But when I'm working, my sleep schedule kind of falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. Your job requires you to be in, and mine too, up at days, up Mm -hmm. in the afternoon, up in the middle of night. And that's just being a shift worker. Yeah. And when I work in the mornings, like when I have my six o'clock shifts in the morning, I I think I convince myself that I'm going to oversleep my alarm and I get really anxious about it. So then I keep, I wake up three, four times in the middle of the night easy if I can even get to bed on time. So that becomes problematic. But that's just, uh, I don't know, I'm working on that. Yeah, that's extra rough because we'll get into that. But that comes into mm-hmm. some of the nuclear, not nuclear, chemical messengers that are <laughs> floating around in our system, kind of messing around with um, when we wake up, when we go to sleep. Because it's really all about finding the rhythm. Mm-hmm. The most important thing just to cut to the chase, for getting good sleep is finding your rhythm and keeping your rhythm. And there's a couple different kind of rhythms that are most important. The first one being the circadian rhythm. And I think, what do you think? Do you think most people have heard of circadian rhythms? I think probably most people at least know the term. I'm not sure what everybody thinks about it, but I think that everybody's at least heard that term tossed around. Yeah. But essentially, you know, it's when you naturally want to be awake and when you naturally want to be asleep. Yeah, that's an easy way to put it. I always think of when I hear circadian rhythm, you know, those cicadas that they come out like once every however many years, like the word just looks so much yeah. like it. So that's what I think of. So I hear circadian rhythm and I've got this like big, ugly looking bug over me as I sleep. That's what I think of. That's my mental imagery. This of is why rhythm. you can't sleep. Yeah, right. We've <laughs> solved your problem. We fixed it. I'm good now. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Stop staring at bugs right before bed. <laughs> but so the circadian rhythm is actually... Uh, engineered by this master clock that's in everyone's brain. It's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And suprachiasmatic meaning just above the cross, and nucleus being the center. So just above the cross means where your optical nerves, the inputs of light, come in from the world through your eyes, then they crisscross in the middle of your head before they make it to the back of your brain where they get processed. And it likes to take little samples of that light because that's an important way Uh, that the suprachiasmatic nucleus is affected and influenced to become used to a certain rhythm, which is called entrainment, getting your SCN, because I can't stand to say suprachiasmatic nucleus uh, many more times. It's very long. So that's why it's sitting there. And that's one of the things it can do is sample this light and tell our body when is the time to be awake, when is the time to be at night. What's really interesting about this is if you sever this area from the rest of the brain, it will continue to keep time for itself. It will continue to do certain things at certain hours and that can be visible with certain investigated uh, mechanisms. You can even see it 
when scientists have put it under microscopes to do these things. And that for 12 hours it'll be on, and 12 hours it'll be less active, and 12 hours it'll be more active, and 12 hours it'll be less active, on and on. So does it basically, if you sever, does it stop your ability to learn new cycles and rhythms? Is that basically what you're doing? It basically repeats whatever it has learned in the past. Is that right? Or do we not know? Good question. What happens to the actual cycle? What is the state of the rhythm if you just chop out that SCN and let it be? It seems to revert back to its natural state, which is influenced by things like certain genes. And believe it or not, the circadian rhythm for us in our SCN is about 24 hours, the same as a day, give or take eight minutes. And it used to be thought long ago it was actually 25 hours, but then they've looked at that data more closely, and when more data came out, there was a discrepancy found, and it was blamed on the fact that when they were doing those earlier studies, there was this little bit of light that was getting through, and it seemed to push the duration of the circadian rhythm from 24 hours to 25 hours. But with the newer studies, our natural rhythm seemed to line up perfectly with the length of the day. There are genetic uh, modifiers to this. There are genes, certain clock genes, certain other genes that affect what our SCN is doing and when it's doing it. So it just returns to the influence of that and not any other external influence. And there's a number of external influences, the most important being light, but there's lots of other things that keep time, or as they're referred to, zeitgebers or timekeepers. Things like uh, food, activity, stress levels, all that sort of stuff. And the circadian rhythm is quite important here. You can think of it as if you're a person that is a typical daytime person, not a shift worker, um, not a night owl, then as soon as you wake up in the morning, there are certain levels in your body that start rising. For example, cortisol. And it starts going up and up and up, and it kind of starts going up right before you wake up, and it's that rise that makes you wake up. And just like you were saying, when you get so worried that you're going to miss your shift, or maybe you're just so worried you're going to miss your flight, or whatever it is, you get so worried that something is on your mind, there's extra cortisol in your system when you're going to sleep, it's going to be a little easier to wake up, and you're probably going to wake up earlier. And then it rises as the day goes on, and it starts to dip, starts to decrease as the day wears on. And just before you go to bed, it actually does not dive down. It actually goes up a little bit. And there's some evolutionary reasons that you might be able to think of uh, for that happening. If you were a caveman living way back in the day and there's no extra lights, essentially you're just you, but there's no extra lights and no other influences, what do you think would be a good reason or a nice benefit to getting a little extra burst of energy before the sun goes down? I feel like we have a pretty consistent example we use for this, so I'm going to stick with it. We're going to bring back up that lion that we're always running from or checking from or checking to see if it's still there. So let's say in this case, uh, you need to ensure the safety of your sleep area. So you got to make sure the lion's not on the prowl about to eat you and your whole clan, right? I mean, that seems reasonable to me. You want some energy to do that. Yeah. Seal off the cave, whatever it is that these cave people do. I don't know. (laughs) Build a fire. Get we should bring on a caveman as a guest on our podcast to get some insight. That would be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to sleep, I think that would be just indispensable insight right there. 
We could bring them on for the paleo people too. Maybe they would want to talk about their life expectancy and what they died of and see if it helps out the paleo diet nonsense. I digress. <laughs> I think we left that behind when we were talking about food. I will never leave that behind. <laughs> we'll move on. If you're interested in whatever Zach is talking about right now, go back to the segments on food. <laughs> yeah, let's not take a tangent off that because we could easily go on for that. Yes. <laughs> but the circadian rhythm um, and that cortisol level does decrease, but something else increases during nighttime. And it's something that people like to take as a supplement, but it's melatonin. It's not really something you need to supplement. I can't think of anyone that actually has a melatonin deficiency. Um, but melatonin is usually something that people take thinking that it's going to make them go to sleep. And its role really isn't to force your brain to just shut down. Mm -hmm. Its role is to tell your brain, hey, it's nighttime. Mm -hmm. Do your nighttime yeah. things. Right. I mean, it's good for the shift worker who's adjusting their schedule back. And that's pretty much the only evidence that we've shown it actually is helpful with. Unless you mm -hmm. tell me something different here, but that was my understanding. Yeah. That's really where it's most useful. Otherwise, if you're trying to just use it to fall asleep faster, and you'll see these papers talking about how it is statistically significant for getting you to sleep faster, they don't really say how much faster. And then when you look into the numbers, you see that it's usually less than 15 minutes, more on the order of like a minute. <laughs> a mi <laughs> so, one minute, one minute yeah. faster. Sometimes. That is so life-changing i can't even tell you how much more that extra you ever like you wouldn't have to snooze in the morning you could just get right up when your alarm clock goes off Bam. all because of that one minute mm -hmm. thank you melatonin <laughs> now we'll say with these new formulations like um the sustained release sublingual melatonins maybe there's some role there i haven't seen uh, enough mm -hmm. data to say much on that but the usual formula that people take is i'm gonna swallow this pill or it's gonna rapidly dissolve in my mouth and take it um, <laughs> I'm just picturing somebody like dissolving a pill on their mouth and their pillow and just like as it dissolves them just kind of slowly and gently and peacefully drifting off to sleep like it works like a like pixie dust in the Disney movies yeah. oh, how wonderful that would be that would be amazing <laughs> I have done that in the past just hoping for something to work just anything <laughs> and then I've been awake still Right. Ah, oh, sadness. But I would never uh, deny the power of the placebo effect. If that works for somebody, right, just keep doing it. Don't doubt it because it, right. it might stop working. So, <laughs> right, exactly. With with all that with all that being said, all of you melatonin people, sorry for ruining your life. <laughs> just go back and erase the last five minutes of this. Yeah, exactly. But uh, and if you're going to use melatonin, actually, if you can get a prescription so you can get it from behind the counter, that's a little bit better because you don't actually know what's coming in these bottles. Mm -hmm. They're not FDA regulated. You could be getting almost nothing. You could be mm -hmm. getting way more than um, is reported. And you could be getting other stuff in there mixed in. And who knows what that's going to do to your sleep because we don't know what's in it. The other thing that controls when we sleep is something called sleep drive or sleep hunger which just by the name, you might be able to figure it out. Uh, when you first wake up, if you've had a good night's rest, you're not very hungry for any more sleep. As the day goes on, you do more stuff. Uh, chemical messengers start accumulating in your body, telling your brain, uh, we need sleep. There's, there's a 
buildup of something here. Usually people think of the chemical adenosine. That's the thing that's most likely playing the role here, but it could be something else. And then when this adenosine builds up to a high enough level, you get sleepy. If it keeps building and building and building and building, you will eventually get to the point where it's just, you can't say no to it anymore. You just get so hungry for sleep that you will fall asleep. This is where, you know, you're driving along, you haven't slept for a long time. You might get something like a micro sleep, which is you fall asleep for that split second. And then you wake up and you get scared because, you know, that's dangerous. You're essentially behind the wheel of a missile with no direction, no guidance system on that. Who knows where you're going, but you're going full speed. Unless you have a Tesla. You have a guidance system on that, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Thank goodness for technology. <laughs> Clearing the air, stopping as many traffic accidents. That's a good point. Everyone who is sleep deprived, you could fix the rhythm of your sleep or you could just find a, a robotic car to take you places. Yeah, put all the money from the melatonin into your Tesla savings bank and in about 400,000 years, you'll have enough money to buy your Tesla. <laughs> it's going to work really well by then. <laughs> There'll be charging stations everywhere. In fact... They'll just be flying cars by then. Well, so, yeah, we'll have a whole new bag of tricks to worry about then. Yeah. So if we just take it from these two rhythms, the circadian rhythm and the sleep drive rhythm, you can figure out a way of using that to your advantage to make sure that you get good sleep. The more that you stick to the same rhythms over and over again, waking up at the same time, falling asleep at the same time, waking up at the same time, falling asleep at the same time, the more that your SCN is going to get entrained to that rhythm. And the easier it's going to be to fall asleep at, for example, 10 p.m. and wake up, for example, at 6 a.m. Boom, 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 boom. Much less need for any kind of supplements um, and just a way better day, much more productive day. And we tend to screw ourselves up a lot when it comes to sleep. Just lots of things can get in our way. Um, for example, let's say that you just worked a morning shift, 6 a.m., and maybe you have a swing shift the next day. You need to be at work at 2 p.m. You get home, and you're like, oh, I could wait till bedtime, but I could just sleep right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's going to do for you or do to you? Yeah, I'm sure it's not going to help. Uh, my, I don't know if my SCN would get that complicated or that confused, I should say that quickly, but I'm sure that my rhythms would be all sorts of funky. Yeah. And then when I try to sleep that night, I'll be like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's all I was looking for you to say is something's going to get screwed up, which is... <laughs> I'm getting nervous about these questions. <laughs> Just, uh, they're very broad questions, which is essentially, you're going to go to sleep at night if you're trying to go to bed at the same time, and you're probably not going to be able to sleep because you're not as hungry for sleep anymore. You just... Had a sleep snack, which is how I'll refer to naps from here on out, I think. Yeah, that's such a great idea. Yeah. I've never heard of that, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, you're too full from your sleep snack to have your sleep dinner, which is an overnight sleep. <laughs> it's just going to screw you up. And then other common things that can screw up our rhythms are if we force ourselves to stay awake on Friday night or Saturday night. That actually has a term when we let society and our friends or family members keep us awake well past what we want. It's called social jet lag. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. And so if we spend Monday through Thursday 
on a nice rhythm, and then we screwed up Friday and Saturday, it's not going to work out well for us on Sunday. Our mm-hmm. mind is, brain is not going to be used to switching back to that Monday rhythm that we want. So we're not going to get great sleep. We're not going to fall asleep so easily. We're not going to wake up as easily, as refreshed, as restored. So the key here, again, I'm harping on it over and over again, but the key is fall asleep at the same time, wake up at the same time. Fall asleep mm-hmm. at the same time, wake up at the same time. If for some reason uh, you had to go to sleep an hour later, wake up at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's hard to convince people because they're like, you know, I need to get my eight hours. So if I went to bed at three o'clock in the morning, I need to sleep till 11 a.m. And to convince somebody, oh, no, that's actually a really bad idea because now I'm going to be really confused the next couple of days. That's yeah, kind of a hard, a hard sell for some. Yeah. Now, if it's, it depends on the situation. I don't want anyone getting yeah. behind the wheel at 7 sure. a.m., four hours of sleep later. That's dangerous. You're 11 times more likely to crash at that point. Yeah. And if you need to be functional for your mind, yeah, you know, you may want to sleep in. But if you're doing this every day and you're trying to get back on a regular rhythm, then one of the ways that um, you can get back on track is by restricting your sleep. And that's a whole kind of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which works better than pills. So your first line, or meaning your first move for having trouble sleeping should not be um, a pill. It should be first making sure you're doing the simple things, like trying to get your rhythms right, and then maybe doing this CBTI or cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, with or without pills on the side with that. But this behavioral training of your brain is crucial. Yeah, it's more the same lessons that there are things that you can do to avoid medications and that sometimes the medications are necessary as supplements. But yeah, the idea that there's a pill for that, just give me some Zolpidem every night and I'll get knocked out and go to sleep forever indefinitely <laughs> is uh, a little ill-founded. Yep. And it has its own risks with that. Yeah. Risks, uh, people find increased mortality, meaning you're more likely to die, uh, increased cancer rates. Now, whether it's coming directly from the sleep aid medication or just from the fact that you're really not getting the same quality sleep when you're using them, as opposed to if you didn't need them. Now, this may be a different topic entirely, but I guess it bears mentioning. I know that when you drink alcohol, your REM cycles are all sorts of out of whack and you don't really have good REM sleep. Is that also true of sleep aids like Zolpidem? Good question. What does Zolpidem do to our REM sleep? Well, uh, sleeping medications in general, there are a number of them and they have a number of effects. REM, or rapid eye movement sleep where you dream, can be affected by many of them. TCAs, SSRIs, anxiolytics, these are tricyclic antidepressants, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Anxiolytics are medicines that specifically will go after your anxiety. They can decrease how much time you spend in REM sleep and decrease how efficient of a sleeper you are, which is sleep efficiency is how much sleep you get inside of a certain amount of time. Zolpidem is newer than those medications for sleep and seems to work better for them. It seems to preserve REM sleep better. It seems to preserve slow-wave sleep. Simultaneously, though, that slow-wave activity decreases the power on the EEG with these brain waves for the slow waves decreases 
a full discussion on medications for sleep and what its effect on sleep is actually means we need to talk about sleep architecture in detail, which I don't think we have time for in this current podcast, but maybe we can get into it on a different one. It's just important to note that whenever you are taking a sleep medication, you are making a trade-off. And if you really need to make that trade-off, then okay, you need to, then you got to. But if you don't, if you're just taking this medication because it's the easy way out and you don't want to change your rhythms or change how you take care of yourself, then is it really benefit outweighing risk? Because to me, if all it takes for you to sleep better and avoid the medication is changing what you're doing when you're doing it, that would be the better move. The healthier move, the safer move, the more productive move. Okay, and we'll talk about that in later podcasts, but I just want to bring that up now for my really my own edification. Yeah, and then, I mean, alcohol will suppress them. And so um, if you are a person who has an alcohol use disorder and you're just drinking all the time, you've really suppressed your REM sleep all the time. And so when you stop drinking and that REM sleep comes back, you can end up, that's at least part of what um, these visual hallucinations that come into detox are about. And so if we were to think of some ways of helping people to get back on rhythm, there's one thing that makes sense to me that I like to use, and that's an alarm clock for bedtime. We have alarm clocks to make sure we don't oversleep. I think we should use alarm clocks to make sure we don't undersleep because it's too easy to just let the day get away. And suddenly you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. And all of a sudden, oh, mm-hmm. it's midnight. When did this yeah. happen? Just happened uh, earlier this week with Nina and me. There you go. I got to hope. Maybe if you had a little alarm that went off at 10 or 9 or whatever you want to make it, you go, oh, I know what time it is. I could choose to do what helps me tomorrow. Or I could choose to ignore it and go on. But at least I had a chance to make a choice. There's nothing as much fun as continuing on in your sleep fugue and barely recognizing or enjoying what you're doing. <laughs> and being grumpy to everyone around you. <laughs> Right. It's, it's just the best. In case you can't tell, Zach is sometimes sarcastic. So that's really the short of it for rhythms. The number one way to try and get better sleep more consistently. Can you think of anything else we should address or bring up uh, as it pertains to rhythms particularly? I don't think so. So basically, there's circadian and entrainment rhythms, right? So those are the two types of rhythms. Well, circadian and uh, sleep drive. To get process C and process S. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And then, yeah, uh, I don't know if there's anything else for us to bring up. I don't think so. I think, like we've mentioned a few times, there's a lot of branching off points for something that seems so simple. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things to talk about. And something that I think we all take for granted that turns out to be monumentally important in not just our day-to-day lives and how we experience the world, but in our long-term health, as we've discussed. So I think that about covers it. Right. So just to put one caveat into all of this is that there are some people out there that are listening that may need the expert advice of a sleep doctor, a board certified physician in sleep, also known as a somnologist, because there are sleep disorders that are out there beyond regular insomnia and beyond regular self-imposed sleep deprivation. They're going to need more of a workup and more intervention. So until next time, 
Uh, I'm Sauger. And I'm Zach. And remember, the way you live can save your life. <laughs>